Well, everyone, welcome back for another episode of Reimagining Cyber Extra. I'm Rob Borrego. I'm joined by my co-host, as usual, Stan Wisseman. There's, there's always so much going on in cyber, right, Stan? And so one of the things that I know you just uh, kind of got a little bit in depth on and want to share is some of the things that's going on in the federal sector. So why don't we kind of kick off and share, you know, what is it that we're seeing coming into the new year? Rob, if you recall in our episode with Lewis Lerman a few weeks back, and when we were talking about healthcare security and the high trust certification process, he referenced FedRAMP several times. Yes. And he was making a comparison between what you have to do in FedRAMP and the purpose of FedRAMP versus high trust. But I, I don't think we've covered FedRAMP in any of our previous episodes. So our listeners right. may not be familiar with that program. And I just wanted to spend a little time, you know, ensuring that folks understand what FedRAMP is and as well as, you know, some of the updates that are going on. You know, it's it's an 11-year program, and it's called the Federal Risk and Authorization Management Program, and it's run out of GSA, the General Services Administration here in the United States, and its whole purpose is to provide a standardized government-wide approach to security assessment, authorization, and continuing monitoring of cloud products and services used by the federal government agencies. If you recall, you know, when the cloud... Um, computing got it introduced, you know, the whole question was how was the federal government and these agencies going to safely and yes. securely right. use cloud? And this was the answer. FedRAMP was the answer. And um, as an example, as far as our, our own services, you know, Fortify on Demand is a managed service that is FedRAMP authorized, right? So that's an example of one of those that we have, and it's been longstanding. We've had that authorization for a number of years. And I think with any metric, the FedRAMP program has been viewed as successful um, for accelerating the adoption of secure cloud solutions for use by public sector agencies. So it has been a successful program. Um, and as a way of sort of reflecting that success, they've sort of codified it now. So one of the things that's happened as an update um, and if, you know, the FY23 National Defense Authorization Act, or NDAA, um, was signed by President Biden in December that codified into law um, the FedRAP program. And, and you know, this is a big milestone um, for, for FedRAP, and it's, it's been updated as well. I mean, one of the things that they tried to address in this, this new law that's part of um, NDAA is some of the, the challenges with the authorization process, which can be a little onerous, right? And it can mm -hmm. take a while to get through. And definitely, um, you know, sometimes you feel like you're doing duplicative work. So some of the things they're trying to do is like reduce the duplication of security assessments and other obstacles that the agencies are facing when they're adopting cloud products and have this presumption of adequacy for cloud technologies that have already received FedRAMP certification. So that, again, should reduce some of the re redundancy of some of the work that's been done. So really kind of simplifying some of these aspects and streamlining the process, right? Because that, that has been a bit of a thorn in the side of many different vendor organizations in the past. And, and one of the other changes was to, hey, look at this secure centralized repository and reuse existing assessments before you conduct your own. Right. I mean, again, sort of like a direction of don't do it again if you don't have to. Um, and GSA has been directed to automate some of the processes. Um, and, and again, 
some of these security assessments and continuous monitoring have been pretty manually intensive. Mm-hmm. And so automating that process and hopefully streamlining it and making it a little more um, efficient on, on both sides of the equation from the agency perspective, as well as the vendor trying to get through the process is, is big. Um, and finally, the other thing I just want to point out is they, they did establish this federal secure cloud advisory committee. And the point of that is to have a dialogue between GSA, which runs the program, the different agencies, you know, cybersecurity and procurement officials and industry, you know, to have this, you know, kind of coordination to help, you know, again, continue to mature the program. It's been in place for 11 years. It's already had a lot of maturity, but, you know, let's continue that dialogue of all the different players involved to make sure that it's going to become more efficient. I think all these are very positive developments for the federal program. It's good to hear. Now, out of curiosity, was there any update as it related to SBOM? Because there was a lot of back and forth. There um, was. You know, if you recall, there was a lot of back and forth. They were trying to actually include SBOM language. So again, that's, you know, software bill of materials. You know, we've we've actually, you know, covered that in a number of our episodes as far as around the whole secure software supply chain um, risk management. You know, we've had John Pescatore back then with SolarWinds. We had, you know, Steve, Steve Springett yeah. and, and Dan Lawrence. Uh, talking about salsa and SBOM. So we've talked about this for a while, but, you know, in the past, it's all been around the executive order that Biden put out at the beginning of last year, as well as um, guidance that was coming out from industry and government. They were going to codify in law in this NDAA that vendors were going to have to provide an SBOM in order to have agencies consume their products. Yeah, and, and okay. a number of, of tech trade groups, like the Alliance for Digital Innovation, really were urging um, the House and Senate Armed Services Committees to to remove that language because they, they just didn't feel like we were ready yet. You know mm-hmm. that the government and industry needed more time to work out the solutions and improve their supply chain security uh, and and ensure that they could actually generate and consume these S bombs. So I, I think you know. You know, they listened uh, and they, they removed that language, but I, I, I don't think that's really stopped the executive branch from continuing to execute on Biden's executive order. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. I mean, again, it's been a bit of a conflict, if you will, back and forth, kind of both sides discussing, you know, the approach to S-bombs and whether or not there's, 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 there's known to be validity behind it, but then there's a question right. of, is there too much of a cyber kind of opening the Komodo and, you know, we're, we're giving too much information out. So that, that conversation will continue, but uh, I do believe at some point in time, it, it will be part, probably likely part of this as well. Right. Yeah. And, you know, NIST is continuing and as well as um, shoot Alan, Dr. Alan Freeman over yes, at CISA, right. they're continuing to work on the SBOM stuff and guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, the crystal ball is if you are a software supplier to the government, you have to be prepared in the future to be able to provide this kind of inventory of components that make up your software build, right? You know, it's, it's important as we've heard from Steve and others to be able to react quickly to zero days, to be able Mm -hmm. to um, uh, understand what your software consists of, to be able to mitigate open source security issues and risks. So, you know, you're, you're going to have to be prepared to be able to share this information um, with those that are are asking for it. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we've seen some of that direct, obviously impacting us and how we develop and deliver our own software, but also on the customer kind of engagement side of things where um, if we turn the clock way back to Log4J and mm-hmm. you know, looking at one of our, I would say more mature customer in the, in the area of software security, um, you know, w- within a very short period of time, I believe it was maybe three business days, they were able to identify exactly which of their assets truly were impacted that they need to focus their attention on and in essence, remove, remove all that noise. And then on the flip side, you look at other organizations that have to go through months and they're still in some cases kind of digging out of where does it actually impact us, right? Um, so I think that kind of piece of that, you know, visibility and understanding of where these things are and what they're baked into is of good value, but it's also how are you actually leveraging it appropriately so that when the time comes to be able to action it, you do have all the information ready to go as opposed to the whole kind of, now let's go and scramble and find it. Right. And, you know, I think as Steve Springett um, pointed out to us though, S-bombs in and of itself aren't really yeah. the, the, you know, the right. golden ticket as it were, you know, that's as a part of that whole puzzle exactly. of software supply chain risk management and, you know, a, a yet another industry um, set of guidance on how to do it right um, was was released. Um, you know, Microsoft got into this game, you know, yes. a long time ago. They have their own issues as far as supply chain, and they've been managing those risks for a long time. And so they have now shared their approach, and it's called the Secure Supply Chain Consumption Framework. And you're ready for another acronym? <laughs> Here we go. S2C2F. Never doesn't mind. exactly roll off no. the tongue. I'm not sure how they, you know, how they say that, but I'm a little um, shocked at that because didn't they look to see that Google called it salsa and made it pretty easy? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting you mentioned salsa because you know that's what we talked to Dan Lawrence about, right? right. Was was salsa, the Google approach. But you know, the the difference is this S2C2F is more of a consumption focused framework as opposed to the development. Or producer mm, side, okay. so you can you can look at salsa as being complementary to what Microsoft has done I or see. what they've released here. You know, so the, the idea is it's designed to protect developers from accidentally consuming malicious and compromised packages and helping them you know mitigate supply chain risk by decreasing consumption based attack surfaces. So you know this has gotten some endorsements. You know the Open SSF. Um, yeah. uh, has, you know, adopted it uh, you know, their supply chain integrity working group, um, has a, as a SIG that's focused on using this. And so, you know, Microsoft is, is doing what they can to help the industry and help, um, organizations mitigate their consumption of potentially risky components. And that's great that they've released it and gotten open SSF support. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. kudos to them. Excellent. I mean, it, it just seems like everything that we're talking about in, in cyber always somehow turns itself back around to the software aspect of it, right? The software supply chain is the common theme that we heard through last year. It's not going to slow down this year. It's going to continue to be kind of this evolution of people becoming more mature in their program and how they're able to support that, understands more of the risks outbound as well, right? I think there's kind of this cascading effect of it's not just the vendors you're working with. It's also who are the vendors actually working with as other p- third parties, and aspects of you know software elements they may be pulling into their own um, end result they bring to market. So you know we'll, we'll probably pick up on this as we go forward. I think it's a key topic as it relates to some of the common themes that we're going to be 
likely to see in 2023. God knows we changed so quickly. So that, that, that can easily go away next month, right? But it just seems like that's going to continue to accelerate itself. Well, you mentioned the you know, prevalence of software. Software is everywhere. And, yeah. and you know, you, you're, you're bringing up the different components and interactions. I mean, APIs is another aspect of this that Absolutely. Is, is, is so... Um, is, is rising as an attack surface and, and attack vectors that are hitting applications and the, the, the organizations out there are just now becoming aware of this new attack surface that they have to control. But that's mm-hmm. due partly because of the way in which development has evolved and you have all these microservices and all these different um, interactions now between software components, which is great, but that's also an opportunity for bad actors to right. use that as an vector into your application um, mm-hmm. or back in back in databases and systems. Um, and so I think that's another aspect that we have to possibly focus on. So I, I would love to get a speaker from Microsoft on, you know, the C2, S2C2F. I got to get this that's, right, man. I got to so come simple, up with it. Why wouldn't you <laughs> say it? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be good to have somebody on that or and or on something on API security. I, I think it'd be a yeah, good both, topic actually. to come up. API security, to your point, though, I mean, it has just exploded, right, on, on what we're seeing out there with organizations just trying to kind of get their arms wrapped around it. They just, it, it was something they weren't paying attention to. Now, that being said, it's not going to slow down by any means, right? Because one of the things, and again, this is something we'll, we'll carry on to a, maybe a follow-on extra episode or, or even bring in a guest for is one of the things that um, we're seeing more and more desire for is the kind of open platform ecosystem-based model, meaning that, you know, there's all this great technology as we know out there, but we need to also kind of take into account how can these things be more open from an integration perspective? Mm-hmm. So for example, a managed security service provider, it's not necessarily where they're taking kind of their packaged offerings to market any longer. They have to be very much customized in how they're going to support the organizational needs of their customers. And to do so, right, they have to work with different technology investments they already have in place, the customer already has in place, take those on, but be able to integrate them effectively to be able to kind of paint that overarching picture as to delivering the service with the proper viewpoints as what's going on. What do we have to actually deal with today? And again, that that was a key theme actually of something that I was uh, involved with recently that I think is is just again going to explode this upcoming year. There's there's much more need for you know that type of visibility. So, Stan, great discussion again uh, as always. I love the federal perspective, but it always comes back in also to the overarching view of what we're seeing out there and that software supply chain aspect is 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 just not slowing down. So. Good discussion. On to the next extra episode, on to the next guest. And if anyone is listening who would like to join us in the conversation on API security or more information about what Microsoft is doing as an example, um, please reach out to us. Let us know. We'd love to talk to you about that. That would be great. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, everyone.